Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the youth director here at Sardis Fellowship. This week, Pastor Tim Voth preaches from John chapter 17 on Jesus' prayer. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. All right, thank you, worship team, um, for leading us. We've been worshiping the Lord, and I pray that we continue to worship him and experience him and exalt him through the hearing of his word. And so, I'm Tim, I'm the community life pastor here at Sardis, and I have the joy and privilege of bringing the message here this morning. And we've been going through um, John's Gospel, we've been going through a sermon series called John's Gospel, The Moment of Glory, where we've been tracking Jesus through his life on earth, and we've been tracking him as he makes his way to his greatest moment of glory on this earth, which is counterintuitive to us, but in his upside-down kingdom, his moment of glory is what we've been singing about, the cross. His greatest crowning achievement is is the cross where he goes, he's at his weakest, he's he's being beaten, um, and he dies. And that's his moment of glory, his moment of triumph. Why? Because he's revealing in that moment who the Father is. He's revealing his love for us, and he's actually rescuing us in that moment. And so we've been following Jesus through that, and he's been with his disciples saying, hey, look, I'm about to go die. I I was with the Father. You know, Jesus is saying, I am God. I'm God the Son. I've been with the Father for all of eternity. I came into the world, and now I'm going out of the world. And you're not going to be alone, though, disciples, followers. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send, as Rod was talking about last week, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete, as he's called, the, the, the called alongside one. He's going to come and he's going to be here and it's actually better that I go because this called alongside one, this Holy Spirit is going to actually be closer to you than I could ever be. He's going to live in you and he's going to be with you and he's going to encourage you and he's going to remind you of everything that I've said. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to go now and they understand that and they start to feel like, well, what's, what's going to happen now? What am I going to do? And, they, and Jesus is saying, well, you're going to go into the world I'm sending you on mission into the world. And he's giving them all these instructions before he goes so that they don't forget what he tells them before they're actually, before the rubber hits the road and they go into the world just as Jesus went into the world. And so I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've received instruction and you're kind of like, okay, that's great. But then when you actually have to implement it, you're kind of like, oh, what did they say? You know, when the rubber hits the road, um, my wife and I, Jenna, have had the privilege of receiving premarital counseling and also uh, giving premarital counseling. And it's a huge value, and, and it's, we would highly recommend it to anyone thinking of being married. But you can't fully know what marriage is like until you're in a marriage, right? And so, you know, we've had premarital counseling, and we're like, you know, we kind of treat it as like, oh, that, that's great, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's great, yeah, oh, marriage is going to be hard, okay, yeah, oh, yes, fully agree, okay, yeah, and we're done, yay, we get to be married, awesome, and then we get into it, and we're like, oh, what did they say? <laughs> Shoot, yeah, this has some challenges, we should have really paid more attention, um, but that's why, you know, we also love the idea of marital counseling, You know, marital counseling, when you're in the midst of it, when the rubber is hitting the road, to receive counseling is a great idea. And for all of us, just as an aside, uh, if you are married, it is great to reach out and to receive counseling. If you just need extra help communicating or if you need help um, just in your marriage, loving your spouse, uh, that's great to do. Or if you're struggling and you need a lifeline, you know, marriage counseling can be really helpful. And so if you're in those boats, just reach out to us. We'd love to refer you and find a way 
forward for all of you. Um, but that's an aside. All that to say, um, yeah, these disciples, they're, they're now going to go into the world and they need to remember what Jesus was telling them. They need to remember um, what he's saying. And so we're getting to a chapter here. It's John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can open to it, where Jesus is doing the same thing. This is actually a chapter-long prayer that Jesus gives, and it's this instruction. He's praying out loud in front of them, for them, so that they might receive instruction so that as they go into the world, they can remember what he's saying. And so he's, he's praying for them, and this is a, a bit of a lengthy prayer. Um, and, and what I want to say is that if we receive this prayer, if we listen to this prayer, and we think, oh, I don't really need that, then maybe we aren't engaging in the mission of Christ as we ought to. You know, this prayer is one that if we are engaging in Jesus' mission to be in the world, um, then we need this prayer. We need this prayer desperately. We need this prayer like breath and like, like oxygen. Uh, but if we're not engaged in that mission, we might go, oh, I don't really need that. And, and I think sometimes we treat prayer, uh, I heard someone say this once, sometimes we treat prayer more as um, needing room service, you know, like you're calling room service, you're in a hotel, I could really use some more pillows, you know, I could really use a continental breakfast, you know, that would be nice. And it's not wrong to pray for comforts by any means, but Jesus in this prayer, he's treating it more like we are on the battleground, we are trying to advance into enemy territory, they have tanks, there's an army coming at us, we are in the trenches, we are totally lost, unless you bring air support, we are done. We need you, we need you right now. That's how Jesus is treating this prayer for his people because they desperately need him in the mission that he's calling them to. And so the main thing that I wanna say through this message is that as you go into the world in courage, Jesus will keep you. As you follow Jesus on his mission into the world, in courage, Jesus will keep you. And so we're gonna read this prayer. We're gonna read this prayer together. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm actually not gonna have it on the screen just so we can hear it, just so we can hear. And just imagine that you're there, one of Jesus' disciples, and he's praying this over you. And in this prayer, you'll notice he actually also prays for us. He prays for those who will come to believe. And so this is a prayer for them and also for us. And so as I read it, I want you to be thinking of this idea of the world. Okay, we're called on mission to go into the world and just notice him talking about the world. Sound good? Okay, I'm gonna read it together. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Okay. So a little less punchy than the Lord's Prayer, you know, that we normally recite, a little less memorable, but a, a treasure chest of like so much amazing stuff in there. And did you catch it? The idea of the world? The world, the world, the world, the world. He actually says the word world 17 times in this prayer. He's talking about the world. And I have a question um, for all of us in light of this. Is the world good? Raise your hand if you think the world's good. Oh, everyone's hesitant. Okay, the world's good. Uh, is the world bad? Raise your hand if you think the world's bad. Okay, some hands. Raise your hand if you think that was a trick question and a false dichotomy that I tried to force you into. Yes, okay. You are all right <laughs> because the world is both good and bad and that was a false dichotomy. So I'm sorry. But Jesus uses this word world uh, 17 times and it's this word cosmos and it can have different definitions. In this prayer, he's praying, he uses the word world to just talk about creation, the literal planet that we're on, creation, the thing that we're standing on. He, he talks about the world. Uh, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the literal earth, okay? And that's good because God created it and he said this is good. Um, but another definition, point one as well, that's supposed to be point two. Uh, <laughs> the second one um, is people. So world can mean people and things that people do, like the culture that they create and the systems that they create. So people. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He didn't you know, blast them off into space. They're in the world. But the people in the world, you know, God so loved the world, the people in the world. And are they good or bad? It's kind of a toss-up. Is culture good or is culture bad? Mm, hard to say. It has its moments. Another definition, 
The third one <laughs> is uh, PowerPoint. I'll blame PowerPoint. Uh, no, it was user error for sure. Uh, the third definition is worldliness. So worldliness. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. That's another definition of the word world. So what does he mean by world in that sense? Worldliness is anything that's opposed to God in the world. Uh, John later in another letter, he actually defines it for us in 1 John 2, 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are, uh, but are from this world. So I think we could say, okay, that is bad. That is not good. Worldliness is not good. So anything that's, that is good that we kind of twist and make into an idol or make in opposition to God. So we might take something like work. Love, you, know, you might love work and I want to provide and uh, you know, bring restored creation to this world and something like work is really good. But then you might think, well, it gets me lots of money and maybe I could make tons of money and make it, maybe I could have like more stuff than everyone else around me and I want stuff and you can just become obsessed with material things, right? And, and you can see how something good and beautiful like work can be twisted to become worldliness. Or, you know, I've been given a gifting by God and I want to use it to love the people around me. That's a really good thing. But you might start to think, well, I kind of am better at this than other people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of better than a lot of people around me. And you can start to have pride in your achievements and start comparing yourself with the people around you. That's worldliness. So it's taking something good and twisting it, right? So Jesus talks about the world and it's tricky to know our attitude towards it. I'm in a class right now in my master's um, at Northwest Baptist Seminary where Joel just got hired. I hope one day to be a student. I just think that'd be so funny. We'll see if that happens. I would just pester him, and I hope he would give me good grades, but we'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a master's class there, and um, it's called Christianity in Culture. And we've been talking a lot about how we can have a posture towards the world. We can have a posture towards the world. There's one posture, which is, you know, is the world bad? The whole world is bad. Creation, people, anything that people make, anything that culture does, it's all bad. And so we can have this tendency to just resist anything to do with the world and we want to recluse and start our own little Christian society and uh, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. And so you can have that attitude. The only thing is that in this class we've been talking a lot about how the world isn't just out there. It's in here and it's in here. And so any society you try to make, even if it's Christian, there's going to be worldliness in it. There's going to be temptations to resist and it can get corrupted just as easily. So that's one posture towards culture. Another posture towards the world and culture can be God made everything. Everything is good. I'm free in Christ. I can participate in everything and it's just unfiltered consumption of all of what people and culture makes to the point that I look no different than culture or people at all. That's another full embrace of everything. That's another error. And I think what this passage is trying to show us, this is where the passage, or the, the phrase that comes out that you might have heard, in the world but not of it. This is where that phrase comes from. We are to be, whenever we try to actually live in the world, when we try to live in balance of those tensions and live in the world, we're, we're, we need this prayer. Whenever we're trying to live in the world but not be of it, whenever we're trying to live in creation 
engage in the, our neighbors, the people around us, engage in our workplace wherever we are, but not be of it and resist the worldliness therein, that's when we need this prayer. We desperately need this prayer. When we are trying to live on mission, not rejecting the world, not full embrace, tension in the middle, we live in this tension. We need this prayer. We need Jesus' prayer to be in the world, but not of it. That's what we're called to be. And I think that can even be modified a little bit from this passage, um, to be in the world, but not of it, but for it. You know, that phrase kind of misses the last part. We're to be in the world, creation, culture. We are to participate in this world, but not of it, resisting worldliness. Why? To be for it, to be for the people in it. Why did Jesus come into this world? He didn't just come in to resist evil and then go. He, he came in to resist evil, to love you and to love me, to actually seek people out and find them and bring them to the kingdom. So we are to be in the world, not of the world, but for the world. And so I think as we try to live that out, we need these prayers. We need Jesus' prayer here. And I think there's four things that I just want to quickly touch on in this prayer that Jesus explicitly prays for us. You know, there's a lot of times he prays something and it'll say, he'll pray something and then say, because of this and for this. What are the explicit things he prays for us? Let's just work through those. The first thing that Jesus prays for you He says, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. So what does that mean? Um, The word name can mean someone's character or attributes. Keep them in in your character, keep them in your attributes. As we engage the world, as we try to be in the world but not of it, you might experience that people have different thoughts about who God is. You might start to even hear lies about who God is or corrupt thoughts about who God is, who the Father is. And um, every once in a while, I still like to do um, a trade that I used to do years ago, stonemasonry. I just, I like working with my hands. And so a while ago, I was um, encountering someone who really had corrupt views of who God is. You know, they, they hated Christians, they hated the church because of a lot of church history, which I don't blame them. Um, and and they, they start to think, well, God must be evil, either evil or hateful or absent if this is how Christians are. And you can kind of sympathize with that, hey? And, and I think as we encounter people, they're gonna have different ideas in school and work. You're gonna encounter people with different ideas. Or even in your own experience, you might start to encounter different views of God. Well, I prayed for this and I didn't receive this or, or this thing is challenging in my life and are you there? Are you absent? Are you evil? Are you aloof? What, what are you? You know, we can start having these thoughts about, about God and that's where we need this prayer. Keep them in your character. Keep them who, remembering and knowing who you truly are. You know, there's a song that we sing, um, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And that, like knowing that, remembering he's a good father, even though I hear all these lies about you, I experience all these hard things about you, it makes me question, keep me remembering that you are a good father no matter what's going on in my life. And Jesus is praying that for you. Keep them in your name Help them remember who you truly are. Father, help us 
Help us here be kept in your name to remember who you are, that you are good. You are a good father to us. So Jesus prays that. As you encounter the world, you're gonna need that prayer. One, two. Keep, <laughs> try to ignore it as it keeps happening. It will happen again. Uh, keep them from the evil one. Okay, so that's, that's another challenging one. Um, keep them from the evil one. As we encounter the world, you're going to experience evil, the evil one. Um, I remember when I was not a Christian um, and I would think to myself, I'm a pretty good person. I'm all right. I do some things good, some things bad, but overall I'm a pretty good person. Um, it was only in receiving Jesus and coming to try to follow him that I, I saw his standards. I saw who he, what he called me to be, the life of holiness and purity and righteousness that he actually called me to, to the life of love. Um, it's only when I started trying to actually follow Jesus that I realized how hard it is and how strong evil is. It's like that saying, you only know the strength of an army, not if you surrender to it, but if you resist it. And so in our temptations, when we just start giving in to everything, it's, you know, it doesn't seem like evil is that strong. But if we're actually trying to live the holy life that Jesus has called us to, we start to see pretty quick how strong the evil one is, how strong our temptations are, and how easily we succumb to them, right? Like evil is prevalent and so I would say like almost impossible to resist. And that's where we need this prayer. As you go into the world, as you encounter resistance with the world, as you try to resist worldliness in your own heart, you need to be praying this. Keep me from the evil one. Lord, I, there's no way I can do this on my own. Keep me. Keep me from evil. And Jesus is praying that for each of you. Keep them from the evil one. One, three, sanctify them in the truth. Okay, so this is the third thing that Jesus prays for us. Sanctify them in the truth. This word sanctify, um, it can have this idea of cleansing, like continuous cleansing. So as we become Christians, as we trust in Jesus and try to follow him, it's not one and done and we're perfect and now we're, like the journey of faith is a continuous journey of growth. And I think as we encounter the world, there can be things that make us stagnate or want to stop growing. Um, we can think, well, at least I'm better than that person, so I think I'm okay where I'm at. Or we can experience, you know, maybe resignation. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, it's tiring trying to grow, it's tiring trying to be sanctified. As we encounter the world, we need to be sanctified in the truth. Jesus wants us to continuously grow you're loving one another, great. Love one another more. You know, you're growing in holiness, great. Love one, uh, grow in holiness even more. And so he's wanting to continuously sanctify you and grow you. And I think one of the main things in my own experience that prevents me from the mission of Christ, from actually doing what he's called me to, is lies about myself. We talked about lies about who God is. But there are lies about ourselves that I think can shackle us and chain us and make us kind of stagnate, you know? I love the song we sang. Um, there's no lie you won't, there's no darkness you won't light up, no lie you won't something. Tear down, thank you, coming after me. Um, like he, he's, he's 
There are all these lies about ourselves that we can believe. You know, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, um, you've failed too many times, all of these things that the, the evil one can just throw at us, right? And they can feel like shackles and weights. And then, well, what's the point of even trying to be on mission for Christ? I'm not, who am I? I'm nobody. I have no giftings. I have no strength. I'm too tired. I'm too this. I'm too that. And those are all lies. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If we look to this, what do we see? We have to remember who God says he is and trust that, but also remember who, what his word says we are. We're children of God, I am who you say I am. I'm, I'm set free. I, I'm, I'm loved by God. If we can remember that, if we you know, bathe ourselves in that truth, we will be sanctified. We will grow. And Jesus is praying that for us. Sanctify them. As they encounter the world and the worldliness in their own life, sanctify them. Don't let them stagnate. And finally, that they may be one, that they may be unified with one another. This might be the hardest one. I don't know about you, but we can sometimes think of the mission of God in this world, Jesus in this world, as me and Jesus and going out and evangelizing or, or loving my neighbor, or we can think of it almost as a solo project, but Jesus is actually calling us to unite together, to be unified and go on mission and, and go into the world. He's calling us to be unified as the body of Christ. And maybe you think, I want community, I want to get to know people, and I want to be on mission for Christ, and that's all good, and maybe you even think, I want to join a life group, and that is awesome, and you should join a life group, because there's community and depth of relationship that can happen there, but the thing about life groups is that they have people in them, and, and I know that's a surprise to you, but there are people in life groups, and wherever there are people, there are Maybe some disagreements. Maybe you start to see, oh, we're unified. This is great. But, oh, that person has a bit of a slightly different view on that than me. Oh, interesting. Huh. Or that person, you know, acts a little bit different. Oh, or they have a personality that maybe rubs me the wrong way. Or maybe um, we have this practical need that we want to, we have this mission that we want to do. We want to serve together. Oh, but this person has a different way that they think about doing it. And it kind of, hmm, is different than I think. Huh. So there's tension, right? Like, any human relationship, there can be tension there. And we can start to maximize the secondary things. We can start to make what is secondary the center. And we can start to disagree with one another. And we can start to make that the core of who we are. And we can separate and do all that. But what Jesus is praying is keep them one. Keep them united together in unity and purpose on what matters most. We sometimes say at this church, it's, it's from church history, in essentials, unity. In the things that matter, in the gospel, unity. In non-essentials, that's where there's some liberty. We can disagree, we can find the best way forward, but there's liberty. And in all things, charity. That's what we try to live here at Sardis Fellowship. It's not easy, but we believe that if we're living in community, on mission as missional community, that has a greater effect in our, king, in our world. That they will know Jesus. They will know the character of God. Why? Because we are one. When we are unified in love, that's how they will see the love of Jesus displayed on this earth. And so he prays that, Lord, keep us one. Keep us one. As, as we encounter the world, as we try to reach out on mission and serve and love the world, there's gonna be tension, but keep them one as they, as they seek to live in this world. 
And so those are, those are all the things that he prays for us. And I think it begs some questions for us. I think this is a call to action. And I think we need to stop and ask ourselves some questions. Are you engaging the world? Are you reaching out to the people around you for Jesus? Are you resisting temptation and crucifying the flesh? Are you living in missional community? Are you loving the brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you eager to maintain the unity of the body of Christ? Those are some hard questions. And I think as we think about those questions, I've got a bit of a story for us. This is a book called The Silver Chair. It's one of the Chronicles of Narnia books. It's less well known, a movie was never made of it, but I actually love it. It's one of my favorite books in the series. Um, If you don't know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this magical make-believe world called Narnia, and in this book, these two kids, Jill and Eustace, get kind of sucked into this world, and there's this lion there named Aslan who represents Jesus. And so he's in this world, and he tells these kids, hey, there's a mission I have for you. You've got to sing the, save this uh, guy named Rillian. You've got to go into the world of Narnia and, and save this guy. He needs your help. And so they go, okay, okay. And he says, but before you go, I have these four things, these four signs, Aslan calls them, that you've got to remember. And when you encounter these signs, you've got to do them, okay? And he's like, yes, yes, okay. And he says them and he repeats them and he says, make sure you're watching for these signs, okay? And they say, yes. And then he breathes on them and then they go out on mission, but what happens in the story? You as the, as the reader can see, every time they encounter one of these signs, they botch it completely. They mess it up. They miss the signs. They, they notice the sign and then they're hesitant to do what Aslan said and they just they botch it all the way along. And they get to the end of the story um, and they're kind of feeling sad. We, we messed this up. It didn't go how we hoped. We didn't, it didn't go how Aslan said it would go. Oh, we're failures, and this is what happens. I have come, said a deep voice behind them. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared with him. And in less time than it takes to breathe, Jill remembered only how she had made Eustace fall off the cliff and how she had helped to mess up nearly all the signs and about all the snappings and quarrelings, and she wanted to say I'm sorry, but she could not speak. Then the lion drew them towards him with his eyes and bent down and touched their pale faces with his tongue and said, think of that no more. I will not always be scalding. You have done the work for which I have sent you into Narnia. And there's this idea of, yes, you botched all of it. <laughs> and you might be looking at this list and going, I'm not, I'm not engaging the world. I'm giving into temptations. I, I'm not reaching out to people in love. I, I'm thinking false things about God. I'm thinking false things about myself. I'm not unified with the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm botching it. I'm, I'm messing all of it up. But what does Jesus say right before he prays this prayer? He starts the prayer starts with when Jesus had spoken these words. What words? This is what he says right before this prayer. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And as we go into the world, we have to remember that it's been overcome. We go into an overcome world And we have to have the audacity to believe that even in our lives, 
even if we're botching it, even if we're not doing it perfectly, that just like Aslan was still sovereign and working in these kids' lives to make his outcome, God is going to be working in your life, in your tiny little life. The creator of the universe is going to be working through you to overcome the world. He's going to be doing that through you. He will, he will keep you from evil. He will keep you in his name. He will keep you unified with the people around you. He will sanctify you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Are you willing to step out and live as if that's true? He will, he will, he will, he will, he will, and he will bring you to himself in the end so that you might see his glory. He will do that. Even if you can't trust that, even if you look at your own life and you think, how, Lord, how? He will. Believe him, trust him. And you know what? He's actually praying this for you right now. You know, if this is Jesus praying back then, I think it can be a model of what he is interceding for us right now. He's praying this for you. He's praying this for you in the heavenlies. And I know our prayers sometimes don't get answered, but Jesus is praying. Do Jesus' prayers get answered? Yes. <laughs> Jesus' prayers get answered because he himself is God. He will do this in your life and he will overcome through you because he has overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'd like to close our service here by inviting the worship team up at this time. We're gonna close our service by singing the Lord's Prayer, by celebrating and remembering these truths together. So let's worship together. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.